Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Sam Gutierrez, and every once in a while, they let me preach. So that's, that's why I'm up here today. We're in a sermon series from the book of James, and so I'm going to be preaching from James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. It's found on page 1725 in your Bible pew. Uh, Pew Bible, 1725. It'll also be on the screen, and if you have a phone or some sort of device, you can look it up on there as well. And I'm also going to read it, so if you just want to listen, you can do that too. Before we read, uh, let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we ask that you open up our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our ears, so that we can hear, so that we can see, so that we can receive all that it is that you want to say to us, all that it is that you want to do in us, all that you want to do through us. So give us that openness and give us that wisdom in order to hear and receive and do. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is uh, James 5, verse 13 through 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed. And the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to start off this morning by telling you a story about someone that I knew that I went to college with who had scoliosis. I don't know if you know about scoliosis, but it's a curvature of the spine, and it was severe enough to cause quite a bit of pain. And scoliosis is basically incurable. You can't really do much for it. After college, this person that I knew, she was on a mission trip with a bunch of Christians, she was some, somewhere over in Europe. And one night they had a prayer service. They had a, a healing service. And this person and her curved spine, they were prayed for. People laid hands on her. They prayed for healing for her scoliosis, for her curved spine. And she was healed. It was a miracle. Her own faith and the faith of those around her had an impact. 
They prayed for healing and faith, and the words of James 5, verse 13, were proven true. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Here's another story. At my previous church, a Baptist pastor started attending after he and his wife had retired and moved into the area. And he was eager to start a Bible study at the church. I guess that's just what he does as a retired pastor. And uh, during the, one of the gatherings, early morning Bible study gatherings that I attended with him, he was the leader, I just got to sit there. Uh, he told this story. He said that as a pastor, he was overworked, overstressed. At one point, his body began shutting down. He developed a debilitating, mysterious illness that made his whole body want to seize up. Every joint in his body was on fire. Over time, it was getting worse and worse. And this guy, he used to be an energizer bunny. He was nonstop. Now he could barely move. He could barely put on his shoes. He anxiously thought, is this what the rest of my life is going to look like? At one point, he went to a pastor's retreat. They were having a time of worship. They were praising God in song. They were praying, and he was being prayed for. And in the midst of the worship, and in the midst of the prayer, and in the midst of the singing, something happened. He says, he felt it in his body. Something shifted. Something changed. And he knew. He knew that in that moment he had been healed. Now, all his functioning didn't come back right away. But quite quickly, he did get better. And in a matter of weeks, he was completely restored. And so when I knew him in that Bible study, I would have never known that he could barely move at one point. You want to hear another miraculous physical healing story? I'd love to tell you some more, but I can't because I don't have any more. In my 44 years of life, my 22 years of ministry, I only have two stories about rather sudden and miraculous healing. On the other hand, I can't even begin to tell you the countless, countless stories of people who have prayed and prayed and prayed until they were down on their knees, until they were empty, until they were broken, until they were pleading with all the faith that they could scrape together. And pray with that faith. And no healing came. I don't mean to discourage you this morning. I do believe that God heals. I do believe that we should pray for healing. I do believe that when we pray, we should gather up all the faith that we can muster and pray with that faith. And you know what? Sometimes, suddenly, a prayer offered in faith makes a sick person well. More often, certain types of healing, emotional, mental, relational healing, it does happen 
But it often happens slowly, over time, with a lot of reflection, with sometimes some therapy. But sometimes it doesn't seem to happen at all. And then we're left with a verse from James 5, verse 13. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I read one commentator this week who said that this part of James will make a preacher want to run in the opposite direction. I felt that this week. In some ways, this passage from James is rather straightforward. It's rather simple. It could be summed up with some uh, nice sayings. Have faith. Believe. Pray with confidence. Prayer works. Be like Elijah. But in other ways, this is a hard passage. It's complicated. Life isn't so easy. Faith isn't so easy. God isn't so easy. And it all can't really be summed up with a nice saying that you can put on a t-shirt or on a bumper sticker or put in a YouTube video. So this morning, as I, as a preacher, tried to navigate this passage, I wanted to talk about three things that may help you and helped me navigate a passage like this. Here's the first thing, number one. It's good to remember, and Stephen actually, when he began this sermon series, reminded us that James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And this was the first church, the first major Christian church that existed, that was first established by Paul. And then when Paul left on his missionary journeys, this church continued to exist. And so James, who was the brother, half-brother of Jesus, he rose to prominence in this community and had a profound influence on these early Christians and on this church and was in fact considered a pillar of the community. He pastored for about 20 years in that church. And during that, church, during that time, all was not well. It was hard. The church went through a famine. Oppression was happening from rich and powerful people. And they were being persecuted by Jews who considered this Jesus community a heretical offshoot of Judaism. So the book of James is a collection of the hits. It is a collection of memorable teachings and sayings from his many years, from his 20 years of teaching. His sentences come off as one-liners, as wisdom nuggets that pack a punch. And it's also important to know that James isn't speaking out of a vacuum. He was born and raised and learned in a tradition. He was shaped in a tradition. And so when James writes his words or when James preaches, he's really leaning on two particular teachers who end up shaping him profoundly. One is his own stepbrother Jesus, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. And you can kind of hear that if you go back through the book of James and you have the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words kind of in the back of your head, you can kind of feel the Sermon on the Mount kind of bleeding through James's words. 
But another profound influence on James and on his book is the writer of Proverbs. And you can hear that too. Proverbs are kind of these one-liners, these like wisdom truths that are succinct and they pack a punch. And, G- and James is heavily influenced by the book of Proverbs. And so when James writes down his words or when even maybe the followers of James or those who were in his church after James was martyred, after he died for his faith, they may have collected memorable things that they remember James saying. And so these one-liners are not, it's not the Sermon on the Mount for dummies, <laughs> but, um, but true, hard, distilled wisdom that has real-life implications. Practical wisdom for everyday living. And I think it's important, too, I just mentioned this before, but James walked the talk. So James isn't just saying nice things that he heard from other people. These are things that James actually lived out in his real life, so much so that James was, not too long after he pastored the church here, he was martyred. He was killed for his faith, for following Jesus. Like we mentioned when we did a sermon series in the book of Proverbs a while back, Proverbs can be a hard book to process. And if James is really drawing on Proverbs, then it's helpful for us to understand Proverbs in order to understand James. And so this little saying is really helpful for me. Proverbs are best read backwards rather than forwards. Here's another way to put it. They are descriptive rather than prescriptive. They actually function best when they're describing life rather than prescribing a formula. Here's an example. Proverbs 18, verse 24. A friend can be better than a sibling. Maybe you know that to be true. So picture the writer of this proverb is maybe rather old, looking back and reflecting on friendships and family dynamics and then drawing out observations and patterns and themes. And if you go back and reread our passage this morning and think of James, as a mature teacher who's drawing out reflections on his many years of ministry in that Jerusalem church, in that struggling, persecuted church, it just changes the way that the whole book feels. So for me, knowing that James is strongly influenced by his favorite teachers, Jesus, and the book of Proverbs, it just changes how I read a passage like ours this morning. For me, I feel less reactive to prescribed instructions that are just too simplistic. Rather, I find myself pondering the wisdom of James while asking, how might these words apply to my life? Here's another thing that I found helpful this week, and maybe you'll find helpful too. James is saying something about prayer in our passage, but James is not saying everything about prayer in our passage. It's actually very good that we have a whole book a whole Bible to explore the heights and the depths of prayer. Many Psalms talk about the frustrating absence and silence of God in the midst of troubles, in the midst of enemies. What James says about prayer is one glass tile in a large mosaic that is the picture of prayer that Scripture gives us. So let's read it with openness, but let's not make these few verses do more than they are intended to do. 
they are saying something about prayer. They're not saying everything that could be said about prayer. Scripture as a whole gives us a much more nuanced picture. Here's number three, and this is a thing that a pastor should always say. We should always read in context. By looking at what has come before our passage this morning and looking at what comes after our passage this morning, even though our Bible breaks up, and sometimes it's not helpful that our Bible breaks up the book of James into chapters and verses because it wasn't originally written that way, but then we think, okay, there's these like succinct chapters, but James is writing and his train of thought is not being broken up by chapters and verses. And so James is still following a certain train of thought that we're picking up this morning and we're jumping into. But if we're not careful, we're not really plugged in to where he's going and where he's been. So do you remember a few weeks ago uh, when Stephen preached about the power of the tongue? It's this kind of familiar passage from the book of James, where James talks about how the tongue is this little part of the body, but it can cause so much trouble. James is still talking about the tongue. Remember this about, uh, he says this in James 3 verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And then James says, my brothers and sisters, imagine him talking to his church in Jerusalem. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. James is circling back to that thought. He's continuing to explore this. In James chapter 5, he's exploring this. How should words, how should language function in a Jesus community? How should words function in a Jesus community? And so James, in our passage, he's going he's gonna to talk about words in response to five different scenarios. And I'm going to walk you through those five different scenarios this morning. First of all, he says this, and this is, he says it right. Is anybody in trouble? And again, the church was persecuted. There were people in trouble. Is anyone in trouble? A rhetorical question. He says this, he says, Is anyone in trouble? How should you use language? How should you use your tongue? He says, if anyone's in trouble, pray. If you're in trouble, pray. Sounds like good advice, good wisdom. It's a good use of words. If you're in trouble, pray. And then he goes on because he realizes that we're not always in a state of trouble. He says, is anyone happy? It's almost like, is anyone in trouble? Is anyone happy? Is anyone happy? How do you use words when things are going well? How do you use words when it seems like everything is kind of going right? James says this, use your words to sing a song of praise. If things are going well for you, sing a song of praise to God. But then James keeps going. Is anyone sick? Is anyone in the community sick? How should we use our words when someone in our community is sick? Struggling with their health, physical, emotional, mental, relational. He has a couple of words. He says, for the one who is sick, he says, use your words to call upon the elders. 
And for the elders, he says, the elders who are called upon, he says, use your words like this, pray. Is anyone sick? If you're sick, call on the elders. And elders, if you're called upon, use your words to pray. And then James keeps going. He has more instructions for the community of Jesus' followers about the use of words. He says, is anyone sinning? They should be prayed for so that they can experience forgiveness. So again, using our words to pray for people so that they can experience forgiveness. But then James has further instructions to the community. Let's talk some more about how we should maybe use our words when it comes to sin. James says this, let's use our words to confess our sins to each other so that we can experience healing. So again, sage advice from a pillar of faith, instructing a community of Jesus followers on how to use their words. But then he's not done yet. Then he says this, to those who have wandered away from the truth. And in fact, there's no actually specific mention of words here, but the idea is here is that if someone has wandered away from the truth, and he's saying this because people in the community have wandered away from the truth. So he's speaking out of experience. And maybe, maybe you this morning, maybe you know someone who's wandered away from the truth. We talked about the pain of unanswered prayer earlier in the sermon. There's a particular pain of those that we love who have wandered away from the truth. So what are, what are, what are James' instructions to the church about those who have wandered away? He says this, the idea is here, use your words in a way that brings about restoration. Use your words in a way that brings about restoration, a turning back towards Jesus. He doesn't exactly say what words to use. He just says, when you're talking to someone who's wandered away from the faith, use your words in a way that maybe gently turns them around. And you know that has to be so gentle. It has to be seasoned with salt, seasoned with life, light. So I started the sermon by telling two stories about miraculous healings that seem to be proved true with the opening verses of our passage this morning, James 5, verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. But then I made mention of how this passage from James will want to make a preacher run for the hills. And maybe it makes you want to run for the hills a little bit too. Because... Life is hard. Life is complicated. Life is nuanced. And if we're honest, too many of our prayers, even the ones offered in the most sincere faith, seem to go unanswered. It seems like our lived experience and these brief and powerful statements from the book of James, they seem to often just be at odds. They don't seem to fit together very well. But this passage, I think, at least for me, changes when we 
take into consideration that James is a wise, mature pastor, teacher, who's helping a struggling church in Jerusalem. He reminds them of the power of words. And he urges them to use their words in a way that builds up rather than tears down. And in the end, I think that applies to our individual lives, but also to our shared experience as a community. What better way to live out our faith And there's lots of good ways to live at our faith, but here's a good one. Good way to live at our faith in Jesus than to live grateful lives in response to God's goodness and grace and to speak goodness and grace in our own words, finding our own way to do it. But in that sense, truly following Jesus, the one whose words bring about life and light, and flourishing, and wholeness, and grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is so powerful, and we need to hear it. Help us on our journey as we try to figure out how to put together our lives and the truth of your word. Give us wisdom to navigate what seems like sometimes just hard-to-believe passages. Lord, may we be a community that speaks good words, good words to each other, good words to ourselves, good words to our neighbors. But Lord, you know that our tongue really gets away from us. So give us strength, give us power, to continually walk more and more in step with you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.